to episode 126. Alright guys, back again with another great guest. Uh, this guy, uh, we kind of were chasing each other, trying to get each other on each other's shows, and finally we got it done for his, which uh, we can talk about later on, and uh, he has a really interesting story and, um, you know, really good guy. So I was happy to get him for, for my show. Um, you want to, uh, tell us your name and uh, a little about yourself? Oh, my name's James Perdue, uh, and, uh, spinal cord injury, uh, quadriplegic and, you know, going from there and doing the living the best life possible. There you go. Uh, when, when did the injury happen? <laughs> I was uh, two weeks into college on a uh, baseball scholarship and got to play one college game. And um, the very next day, some people were playing a pickup game of football. And that's how I got my neck broke is in that play. And that was the year 1983. Wow. Do you ever, like, run that back through your head, like how you could have done that differently, whether you didn't play or – anything just uh early 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 when i first got hurt yeah i would think you know what if i kept walking because actually what happened is my team had got the ball back and um i told them i've been out there playing for about two hours and i need to get my stuff ready for class next day and so I, i'm told them i was done playing i walked out and i got maybe i don't know 10 feet from the huddle and i heard someone say we need someone to run the ball so I stopped and turned around and said, all right, I'll come back for one more play. Oh, and so that one play is when I got my neck broke, paralyzed instantly. And, uh, yeah, the, early in when I first got hurt, I would think what what could have been if I would have kept walking. Uh, but there's no anything in that anymore because, well, I don't know what could have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? And, you know, I know where I'm at now and we're comfortable with it. Yeah, well, I mean, and and football is such a violent sport. I love it, but I don't play it. And you see, yeah. and you, well, what we were playing was a, a pickup game of football, no helmets, no pads, but it was a tackle football. And I actually on that play scored a touchdown and put the ball down and was turning back towards everybody at the field, and then that's when the guy hit me when I wasn't ready. Wow! And again, broke my neck and was paralyzed instantly. As soon as I heard the pop. Uh, I heard. I tried to get up, and nothing. I I couldn't get anything up. Wow! Did that like you ever keep in touch with like did that guy? Like ever really feel bad? I'm sure he probably did. Like the hit because you were so young. Um, I'm, I would hope that he felt bad, but I would love to meet him again now to let him know that uh, life has turned out better than what everyone anticipated. Uh, but um, I think he came to the hospital once when I was injured uh, in the hospital. And the only reason I think he came in is I was on what's called a striker frame and to prevent any bed sores. 
so they would uh uh i would lay on my back for two hours and look at the uh, ceiling but then they would come in and put all this stuff on me and then turn the bed over basically and then i would like a rotisserie chicken thing and then i would just face the floor for an hour and what i was laying on they would take off of me so blood could circulate better and so um but one day I was looking at the floor and two guys came in to visit and uh, we talked for a while and, and they gave their names. I don't remember them. And the only reason I think it may have been him is when the, the two guys left, I heard the door shut and then I heard someone open the door and say, I'm sorry, man. And then shut the door again. Yeah. Wow. Other than that, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't pinpoint him up in a lineup or anything like that. Yeah. So, of course. Um, and you said you played, you actually played baseball. Like that was your sport. Baseball was my sport. I was wanting to go professional and had a couple of teams looking at me. Oh, and really? so I was hoping to go professional. Yeah. And yeah, yep, that was it. What was your position? Uh, well, I was a left-handed pitcher and left-handed hitter and played first base in outfield. So, you know, I was a, Back in those days, you, you know, in high school and under, you get to do everything. You can pitch and play and hit and do everything. Then when you get into college, I guess they make you specialized. Yeah. And so at that time, I hadn't specialized. Uh, coach had me in the outfield, and he liked my hitting. So, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Did um, like, do you like how much do you remember of of like before all this happened? Like, did you take this for granted as far as like your legs and you you know the body movement and everything that you had before this uh accident oh yeah when i was growing up you know i was one of them that thought i was invincible nothing was going to hurt happen to me that nothing would stop me and i was going to get this professional contract and it was going to be because all of my doings and i was i thought i was that good and but yeah i had that invincibility that nothing would help me and obviously, thinking that way, you know, I took a lot of stuff for granted. The uh, walking, the, you know, getting around easy, getting in and out of bed easy, you know, dressing myself. Uh, at that time, feeding myself. I couldn't even feed myself at that time. Uh, nurses in my family would feed me. So, yeah, a lot of stuff was uh, taken for granted when you have that invincibility attitude. Yeah, of course. Especially, you know, when you're young like that, it's it's hard to really think that anything could come and, and just disrupt your life. I mean, cause when we're kind of born in this world where we're, we're super vulnerable and innocent and then life takes over and we go in whatever direction life pretty much takes us. And then, uh, you know, as it, as it goes on that invince at some point that invincibility is going to probably be challenged. Unfortunately for you, it got challenged to the max, but yes, 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 yes. And like you were talking about, you know, there's points in life when uh, we've got to live uh, with the decisions we make. You know, we got that fork in the road. You know, they say, if I go left, this is going to happen, or I can go right, this will possibly happen. And you decide to go, and, you know, one day you take the right, and, hey, you're in heaven. Everything's going great. Everything's smooth as silk. And then you come to another fork, and you go, hey, I'm going left this time. And then all of a sudden you're hitting rock bottom and everything. And so, yeah, you know, we, we, we're left with decisions to make and then we've got to deal with those decisions and do the best we can and go from there. 
Yeah, that's why it's, it's really key for, like, every generation to look out for the next one. Like, as far as, you know, whatever, your family and, and the people, that you know, their parents and just continue to pass on good values because a lot of times when these kids act out and do stupid things uh, or have certain mentalities is because of poor leadership, whether it's, you know, coaching, whether it's their parents or whoever, teachers, yeah. if they would just you know, guide them in the right direction. Uh, you know, like today I, I had a guy, I'm filling these vending machines and, and, and a guy comes up and says, Hey, can I have free five sodas? And I said, well, that ain't going to happen. And then, and so he knew he, I wasn't going to give him anything. So before he walked away and, and went out of the building, he went and told his son, Hey, he's going to give you a free soda, which I didn't say that. And you just like yeah. you look at that and you go like, dude, come on, you're the dad. Like, teach this kid right. Don't think he's gonna get free things all the time. And and like, because you put me in a position where I actually have to be mean to the kid. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know what you. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I, I've yet to understand this lower, like you said, the younger group, the other, the generations where they believe that uh, in sports. What I'm talking more of is that. Um, Everybody should get a trophy, whether you finish first or last. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know, you're rewarding for bad play. You know, <laughs> and I'm just not into that. So, yeah, we've we've gotten to this place now where, because again, like real sports teaches you, like you, you in, in professional and college and even high school, you're gonna really learn that there's no such thing as that. Maybe when you're a kid, they have these little trophies and, you know, there's these little side leagues and stuff. But, you know, the NFL, there is no, hey, let's just let everybody play and, and everybody's going to win a Super Bowl ring. That doesn't happen. Exactly. So, yeah, and then and what, you know, what are you teaching the kids when they're that young? I understand. I understand. If mom and dad want to buy a trophy, but the league shouldn't do it. If mom and dad want to buy a trophy because you did great and mom and dad's proud, that's, that's one thing. But other than that, what are you teaching the kids? I can half-ass play, and I'm gonna get a trophy. You know, life is not like that. You're not gonna get. You're not gonna keep getting a paycheck if you do half your job. Right, and that that's some of the values. We're not, they're not teaching the kids for that. You know, they're they're going to be used to everybody giving, 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 give. Then when they got in the real world, they're going, wait a minute, why aren't y'all giving to me? So yeah, absolutely, yeah, and then that's some of the values where it's like you could pass to your kid. If you th your kid thinks he gets something for everything he does. Oh man. Bullet. Oh, sorry. My cat pulled my headphones out. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, he just, he, he couldn't have got your cat it. Made on my show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bullet. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there's certain values. Like if, if you don't pass it on properly, like they're, when a kid just thinks he's supposed to have everything, it's like, oh, you get a trophy for this. Well, like, and I'm sure you could attest to this, as a person who learned from mistakes, especially ones that cost you part of your body, um, you know, you, you life really, the, the, the bad and the, the, the falls, you learn way more from than what you, from the success. Unless the success comes from a really long journey of pain and, and, misery and, and, and trying to overcome, but you, you constantly get knocked on your ass. But once yeah. you actually, like when you actually do achieve it, it's great, but you learn so much from when you get knocked down than probably more than you do when you, when you win. Well, and it's, it's worth more when you beat the system, the so-called bad 
things that come to you and when you beat them and then you're able to get that success, it's more rewarding. It feels better. Yeah, absolutely. But again, like if, if you just keep telling every kid like, Hey, everything's going to be fine. It's not because at some point, even on a basic level, like the people that matter most to you, especially the older ones are probably going to die before you, you know, you're, you're probably going to get injured at some point or, or you're not going to pass every class or, or whatever it is. Like every job you go for is, is you know, there's a journey to it. You, you can't just expect everything to go your way. But if you, if you, if we go down this mentality of, especially with the politically correctness and everything is just hunky dory and, and no one thinks anything and everything is just positive and great, which is a lie. Um, because you know, people like to say like, well, you know, what about the kids? You know, we got to think about the kids. Well, really all we're teaching the kids nowadays is just to be phony and lie because there's, there's no, there's really no guidance anymore. The kids, there's no real rules or anything. It's just, yeah, everything's great and everyone should be happy and we all should just give each other hugs. And it's like, and then then the sad thing when they get old enough and get away from mom and dad, then real life comes and really kicks them in the butt hard. And they're not prepared for it. Right. And and some of the stuff that they're trying to, to put out there, in theory, they're great. Like when people say equality, equality is a great thing, but it's not realistic in most ways because as, as a person, we're not equal. I mean, look at, you know, I you have better eyes than me and I can walk. We're not equal. It doesn't mean I'm a better person than you. It doesn't mean you're a better person than me. It's just we're not equal. And, 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 and to the, re- the rest of the world, as far as like able-bodied people, we're definitely not equal. And again, that's okay. But it's, you know, again, I understand for equal rights for, you know, there shouldn't be a, a racial thing, anything with racial stuff or, or gender or you know, any of that. If you're a good worker, then you should have the job. It shouldn't, there shouldn't be a tie system or anything. It's just if you're the better worker, you should have the job. But like I said, there's words that people throw around like equality, and it, it sounds great, but it's not really true. Well, there's only one time and place that we're equal, and that's when the sperm cell gets up there with the egg cell, and then it's united. Then after that, we're never equal. Yeah. I mean, what poor woman can't get the food to need while she's pregnant to nutrients the, uh, the fetus, or taking crack, or smoking yeah. uh, where another woman is being healthy as possible. And even then, uh, if something goes wrong from a pesticide in the air, she, she breathes and then causes a problem. So the only time we're equal is when that sperm cell and that egg unite after that before birth, we're not, we're not equal ever again. Again, how many people are born in the celebrity realm and they got it the rest of their life uh, to be, uh, money and famous, and then how I many people are born into the poor category, and they stay that way the rest of their life. So when they people are all created equal, that's the only places when you're created when those two sperm and the cell meet. After that, it's not equal. Well, even you know, you being an athlete, you know, there's people that just are born with a gift. Yes, they have to work hard. There's the mentality that goes into it. But there's some people that are just born like there's always that one kid in your school that is like six foot four and he's 12 and you're like, Jesus Christ, like you're going to play basketball. Now, again, doesn't mean they always do. But a lot of times it's like this kid is built for something physical. Um, And there's Mm -hmm. people that just, you know, again, I was good at basketball. I could shoot regardless of my eye condition. I was decent. 
but I wasn't, I didn't have like a gift. I just put time into it to where I could shoot a little bit. What, what, I, what I couldn't uh, stand, and I coached for a while, uh, you know, as, as well as played, is you would see these people that I considered were natural athletes, but then they put a half-assed job into practice and stuff. Now, come game time, they're ready to put out, but practice, they don't do anything more than they have to do. And and then, you know, here I am trying to do everything I can do. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I – don't get is again, like I said, they're gifted, but then they don't want to use their full potential. Right. Um, so what was, what was your like initial reaction? Like once, like when did it like kind of sink in your head that like your life is like going to be changing for the good or just at least for the seeable future? First uh, got injured. I'm laying on the campus green. That was our, the field we cut the, playing football on was campus green at that time. And so I'm laying, I tried three times to get up and cause the first time I tried to get up to fight the guy and my head only came up, nothing else. And then the second time I tried to get up to fight the guy again and it didn't come up again, nothing. And so the third time they say, Oh, third, three's the charm. So I tried the third time. And after that, uh, the head come up, nothing else come up. And as soon as that happened, I knew I was paralyzed instantly. And I started thinking, of a man that I'd met when I was about 12 or 14 years old, and his name was JT. And I used to go to the nursing home and visit my grandfather in the nursing home. And I would go, go visit him and help him uh, what he needed, what I could. But uh, one day I went to go visit, and uh, he'd have this JT had come in, and he was a room, two rooms before I got to my grandfather. So one day I was going in, and all of a sudden I heard, as I'm passing by JT's room, I heard, hey, buddy, come here for a minute. And I go in his room, and he didn't tell me he's paralyzed. He just says, hey, uh, can you hold that glass of water so I can get a drink from that straw? I said, yeah. And so I held the water for him and looked at him, and I could see he couldn't move from his neck down. And so he and come to find out he was in a car accident. And um, so when I'm laying on the field, first thing I'm thinking of is I'm going to be in a nursing home at the age of 19. I was thinking of JT at that time. Yeah. Wow. How old was he? Do you know, like roughly? I think at that time he was in his mid-30s. Now, I don't know how long he's been in and out of nursing homes. I don't know that. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, and so from that point on, I don't know, I, can, I don't remember exactly, maybe six months, maybe a year, I stopped in and say hi to JT, and uh, then he wasn't there one day. So I don't know if he went to a different nursing home or if he passed away or what, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it, it. It it's scary when you watch professional players and they have to be carted out, and it's always nice when they put their arms up and they and give the thumbs up and all that. And it's always great because you know there's some players that really take some really rough hits. But you guys were doing it on a you know on I don't know if it was grass or concrete or whatever you're doing, but no pads. Like you know the body is very fragile no matter how athletic and muscular you are. One wrong move yeah, and you can. Yeah, and we were playing a. Regular, you know, grass, you know, dirt area. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oof. Yeah. Um, so you you were pretty sure, regardless of what, before you even got to the hospital, that you were pretty much going to be paralyzed forever? I didn't, no, I never, never, when I first got hurt, I didn't think I'd be paralyzed forever. Uh, again, that invincibility was still in me at that time. And so I knew that probably, more than likely, 
my baseball career was over with that I'll never play baseball again. And so I knew that. Uh, but I always thought because in being invincible, how strong I used to be, I used to, uh, so I, I thought that I would be up walking one day. I thought, that, you know, even if I'm dragging a leg and limping, I figured I figured I would be walking. And I went to like 18 different rehabs in the first five years of my injury trying to find that cure to walk again. And after five years and the 18th one, I decided apparently this is going to take longer than I thought. And so I kind of lied to my family and myself, which at that time wasn't a lie, but after looking back, it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I was telling my family when I got done with that uh, last visit, I said, if I'm going to have any type of life, I need to go back to college, uh, get some type of degree. Because at that time, I didn't know anybody in my area that was in wheelchairs. Yeah. So I was thinking, I'm going to need a degree to compete against anybody else getting jobs. And so uh, that's when I went back to school then uh, from there. Yeah. But and then, like I said, I told my family, said, not that I'm quitting trying to walk, uh, but this has got to be put on the back burner for me to get an education so I can, you know, get out and be on my own. I have my own house one day. And, <clears> so, and so, um, again, at that time, it wasn't a lie, but uh, I can say now, uh, what, 34 years later, I've not one time gone to a rehab searching to walk. Um, now, I've been to rehabs to try to get stronger and some stuff and transferring, but to look for a place that's uh, helping with walking. I hadn't been to one in 34 years. So it eventually it turned out being a lie, but it, it wasn't at that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you like progress at all from any of your rehabs? Just even a little bit? For the first five years, I had gotten, uh, like I said, but when I got out of the hospital, getting ready to get out of the hospital, I was told I, was told I would never walk again, possibly not move from my neck down. And the doctors told my mom and brothers that they should put me in a nursing home because I'd be too much of a burden for them to provide care for. And so we were hard-headed. I was hard-headed. They were hard-headed. So we came home and basically started on physical therapy program. And then home health physical therapy would come in. His name was Dr. Udot. I think it was Udot. He was good. Older gentleman. And they got... uh, about a year and a half after I got home, I got to where I could stand up by myself and with a walker, walk for about 10 feet uh, with a walker. That's pretty good. And so, but after five years, it was that same 10 feet. <laughs> I mean, I can go 20, 30 feet, but I feel like I run a mile after that. And so, you know, it's, so I could stand up 10, 15 minutes again, but it felt like I run a mile. And the time seemed like it never got any better. Uh, no matter how much you try. So, yeah, after the first year and a half, everything, I guess, peaked out. Now, again, that's, you know, I, was, I would go to these rehabs and go, look what we've been able to do uh, for ourselves. And I would stand up and show them. I said, now, with y'all's professional help, we ought to get a lot more. And they would all tell me, nope, um, you probably come as far as you can. And they wouldn't even take me in to, to do it. Most of them, most of them were one-day evaluations and then turn around and come back. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. But I mean, so, so what, what is your body function? Like, what can you, what is your like daily movement now? 
Oh, I switch my own wheelchair around. I got a van that I drive. Uh, before I got the van, I was driving me a nice Mustang, and because uh, I used to be able to get in and out of it. Now those things are so low to the ground, I can't do it now. Uh, yeah. So I got a nice van that I just roll my wheelchair up behind the steering wheel and lock in and take off. And um, my brother helps me get into bed and out of bed. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm up all day and yep, cook for myself and. Uh, used to teach and coach for a while, and health went down, and so I had to get get out of that. Uh, but uh, uh, everything's now again. Uh, now uh, since uh, all this, um, yep, yeah, is when I started my own podcast. Right. It's called Professor of Perseverance, and where we interview people like you do of overcoming their adversities. And so I do that. Got a YouTube show, and uh, try to motivate you to speak, and wrote a couple of books, and. That's that's what I do now. So when okay, so like, how did you get to this? Like, how what? When did you like finally get comfortable with the idea of like, okay, this is my life, and I'm gonna make it work for me as best as I can. Well, that that goes back to that five years plan when I, after five years and the 18th visits when I said I gotta put that all in on the back burner and go forward, and that's when uh, everything seemed to my attitude adjusted. Uh, from there because I, I was depressed for the first five years because going to these places, they say, no, we can't do anything. And then I'm going up, we've done all this much. You can't do anything. And I'd be depressed, but I would hide it from my family. Uh, but they saw through it. And so, um, yeah, if, when I first knew it would be that when I finally decided to put everything in the back and go to college. And cause by then I was again, like, standing to transfer in and out of cars and getting in and out of the shower bench and, on and off the toilet and dressing. I was—I mean, I was totally independent until I couldn't stand up anymore, and that's why my brother has to help me get in and out of bed now. Yeah, but I mean, if that's the one. But thing, I got it. That's not bad. I got yeah. I got into a teaching and coaching. Did that for about I don't know, 12, 13 years, and then uh, like I said, my health went down, and had to quit that. And then yeah, and then on that, uh, well, actually, I don't get deep into your show with it, but. I attempted suicide three times in three days. How bad I wanted out. Wow. And um, uh, I jokingly tell people, you know, you live through a suicide attempt, they make you see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And it was during that time is when he told me that uh, God still has a plan for me because he didn't take me on those three attempts. And to um, and he encouraged me to get into public speaking, motivational, inspirational speaking, and write a book about my uh, how I got in a wheelchair and overcome and, and, uh, yeah, then use the uh, stuff for my teaching, you know, advice. And then, uh, yeah, so I got into speaking. Then after that, uh, just when I hopped into YouTube and then I hopped in just a uh, short two years ago with the podcast. Um, yeah, no, that's great. Like, so your, your suicide attempts, excuse me, suicide attempts, were you like just taking a lot of pills or what? The first day, um, First day, I wrote my suicide letter and actually went to my bank and had like, I don't know, $45,000, $47,000 in the bank. And I went in and told them I need my money withdrawn now because uh, I didn't, I mean, I was dumb. I didn't know what they would, I didn't know who's going to get to my account. I was worried about the government or something taking it because I didn't have a will. And because I want to make sure my mom and brothers got it. And so I go to the bank and tell them, uh, I got to have my money. I got to have it withdrawn today. And they're going, we can't pull that kind of money out today. Yes, you can. You're a bank. And uh, 
They said, we can't. We can give it to you. But this is on a Friday. So we can give it to you on a Wednesday. And I go, Wednesday? I ain't going to be here uh, Wednesday. That's what I told them. And they eventually said, we can give you 2000 cash, and you just have to come back. And so I uh, asked for an application, whatever, to, so I can put my mom on the account. That way to make sure she can get it. And so, um, uh, yeah, so uh, in my suicide letter, the application's in there, $2,000 cash, all my credit card, debit cards are hidden in there, and dumb me puts that into the uh, mail, right? $2,000 cash be sent in the mail uh, to my mom on a fr- uh, Friday for her to get it Monday. And so it was uh, Saturday I attempted suicide by taking um, Sudafed. Sudafed says, you know, don't take no more than more six or eight doses in a whole day. I can't remember six or eight. And so uh, I had two packs of it, 24 pills in one, in one pack, 24 in another pack. So I took 48 pills in three minutes. Jesus. And then I got out of my wheelchair, laid on the floor. That way, if I started feeling bad, I wouldn't dial 911. So I got out of my wheelchair, laid on the floor. And sad thing to say is all it did was give me a headache. Oh, no. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even get a good night's sleep oh. <laughs> with all that in me. So the next day, and the, the next day was actually was Super Bowl Sunday. And it was when the undefeated Patriots are playing the Giants. Right. And so that morning, I called um, Walmart, I guess. I think it was Walmart. I called them and said, because I got the Sudafed two packs at um, Walgreens. They had to sign a form because they passed that law about the Sudafed being given out and buying so much. So I had to sign papers. And so the next day, it was Walmart. And I asked them, I said, hey, I'm having a zombie. I can't sleep. What do you recommend? They said Benadryl. And I looked at my thing and I was going, well, all I got six bucks. So I sent all the other money to them. So I go and buy one pack again. Same thing. Don't take over a certain amount because don't drive any heavy machineries and stuff. And, and so I took all 24 of them in three minutes. And, um, all I did was miss the Super Bowl and wake up to hear the Giants beat the undefeated Patriots. Huh. Wow. But this time I couldn't get out of my wheelchair on the floor. It's not that I couldn't because my brother came in the night before and asked what had happened. I'm on the floor and I had to lie to him and say, well, I was cleaning my glasses and they dropped them and I was leaning over to pick them up and I just fell out. Well, this time I couldn't do that because uh, I'm thinking if, if I don't die, well, I don't want to put him in that predicament. Then he's going to start figuring something out. Right, right. So I just stayed in my chair the whole time. And, uh, yeah, all I did was sleep Mr. Super Bowl and found out that the Giants won. So then the very next day, uh, I was still teaching at that time. Uh, I, asked, I asked, asked for a, a leave of absence for medical purposes. And uh, so over the weekend, I left a bunch of messages to teachers at the school. I wouldn't call them at their own house because I knew they'd be running over to me and knew that Monday they would check messages. So six in the morning, I'm getting all these phone calls now from all these teachers worried about me. The principal's called worried. And I told me, I was just worrying too much. You know, but now I don't have any money getting any more Benadryls or anything. So now I get in my van and the garage and it's, you know, doors are shut. And I start the engine and get out of my wheelchair and lay on the van floor to take in carbon monoxide. And then somebody come to visit, and they found me back there and called 911. And so 
There it is. They saved your life. They did. They did. Yeah, eventually. Uh, I mean, at that time, I didn't want it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they did. Yeah. Was, was there a certain part, though, like when you're, whether you, when you were landed in the emergency room or wherever you ended up, did you start to actually think, like, this is stupid? Like, when did you actually come to the realization of, like, okay, like, okay, I can't kill myself? Or, like, when did you get to the point where it's, like, did you either go to I can't kill myself or I don't want to kill myself? Um, After the third time. When, yeah, when they when they found me and called 911, they said I wasn't breathing. And the guy said he didn't know CPR, so they were just slapping me in my face trying to get a reaction. And the paramedics got there. And supposedly told them uh, 10 more minutes, I would have been dead. And so I was in the hospital for seven weeks from all that. When it first got me into the hospital, they put me in a hyperbaric chamber to force the carbon monoxide out of my body and the oxygen in. And so that was like for four hours. Um, and then now, it, uh, but when I was laying on the, the van floor, the, the engine kept sputtering. And I'm assuming nowadays they've got a sensor that when it's too much carbon dioxide, it shuts the engine off now. You know, years ago, they would just keep running, right. no matter how much carbon dioxide in that. And so it kept sputtering. Finally, it quit. And so then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, great. Uh, now I'm going to be alive, but I'm going to be brain damaged. It'd be worse for everybody else. So then all of a sudden, I just started huffing deep and hard and everything, uh, taking in carbon monoxide. And so, again, I don't know how long I was there and, uh, before they found me, I don't know how long, but yeah, uh, but you know, I was in the hospital for a while and, uh, they had a psychiatrist come in to see me in my room and, uh, we would talk, um, uh, I don't know. It may have took, it was a couple of months before I didn't think about doing suicide again, uh, just cause I didn't want to put my mom through it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, just meeting with the counselor. And and the purpose, uh, let me tell you this, the purpose of trying suicide is because, like I said, I used to be able to stand up, transfer, do everything. Uh, one year, I'm getting to go teach. And uh, this first day of school, I get my shoes out from underneath the cat, uh, the dresser drawers underneath the bottom. And I see a spider web in there. So I took a rag, wiped it out. I should have sprayed something in there. And because apparently I got bit by a brown recluse on the bottom of my foot. And we didn't know with blister was on the, my heel, and it got to about the size of a tennis ball with all that poison in it. Finally busted and saw all that black tissue. And I was actually in school when it uh, uh, called my doctor. And he said, you need to get over here now. I said, well, can't I come after school? Let me finish this. He said, no, there's that dead tissue you need. It's going to poison your body. So they did an emergency surgery to remove all that dead tissue. So then they told me, you know, don't stand on the new tissue trying to grow because um, it a tear, the new tissue. So then after four or five, six months of not standing, I lost the strength to stand. So that's when I need to help get in and out of bed. Uh-huh. But here's, that went on for about a year. Now I'm feeling like a burden to everybody because I used to be able to do all this stuff. So now I feel like a burden to everybody. My younger brother was a, a functional alcoholic. He'd work during the day, but then he'd get home and drink. And, um, uh, one time I noticed, uh, just before I got hurt or before the spider bite that, uh, noticed he noticed he'd gotten jaundice and we took him to the hospital and he was in there for a week. 
and they found uh, they told him he continued drink, drinking the way he was. They gave him 10% chance to live five more years. Uh, but while he was in there, they found he had a hernia and a bleeding ulcer. And my brother was an auto mechanic, you know, so he's picking up all these heavy motor parts and stuff. And they told him, you know, with this hernia, hernia and ulcer, don't pick up anything heavy because we bust open. And so one night I couldn't get into bed. I had to call my younger brother. He came over and helped me in bed, and then he died that same night. Mm-hmm. And so I felt so bad that I killed him that if I could have got in bed, he would be alive. And so that's what we had to work through with the therapist and counseling, uh, you know, that it wasn't truly my fault. Uh, he didn't quit drinking. And, yeah, so we had to, that's what I had to work through. Yeah, those major setbacks with your health is, is always a bad thing. And when you get to the point where you feel like you're a burden on other people, and I've been there and I know many people that have, it, that that part's hard to, to really get out of your mind because it, it, it yeah. you feel like yeah. it. Even though these people love you and they care about you and they don't care about it, it's hard because when you look at the rest of the world and how they perceive us, a lot of times we, we, we kind of feel like we really are a burden but the people in our lives don't really see it that way. It's just. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was psychologist. Even my mom had noticed, uh, because he died in October and I attempted everything, you know, January 31st and the Super Bowl, uh, day and the second. And, um, and she had noticed something about a week early before I attempted, uh, she said, um, you know, that when Andy died, it, he came over to help you. It wasn't, wasn't that he was afraid he was going to die from helping you. He just wanted to help you so you can get to school and teach those kids and to coach your basketball. And, uh, you know, I just listened to her talk. I, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I didn't want her to worry. And so, uh, yeah, then that's when I finally attempted. Yeah. Cause that almost makes you feel worse. It's like, Oh, he, he died sacrificing his body for me. Like it's got to feel, yeah. yeah you got to feel like shit, even though, of course, it's not really majority of it. It's yeah, nothing yeah, to do that, with yeah. That's what the therapy was to, you know, for me to real, you know, to realize, you know, if he wasn't the alcoholic he was and wasn't drinking, uh, things would have been different, uh, uh, you know, and yeah, so he would then realize that he did this to help me to love because he loved me and wanted me to have a a good life, and yeah, so it it took a while again. I had to see this. Uh, psychology for like a year uh, before and that's when again told me i need to get into public speaking and motivational speaking and write a book and yeah and then from there to the youtube and podcasting how like because this is something that I've, I've figured out even with myself in the last two years like how quickly did you like pick up that you became comfortable with like sharing your pain because i know you i'm sure you obviously you had a lot of shame and what you were going through but at some point, it just becomes normal, and when you meet other people, when you get to help others, that pain isn't as prominent as it was, and, and it, it, it there's a lot of beautiful things that come from it, and you can learn to be comfortable and accept who you are and not even worry about yeah. other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I was writing the book, and actually, it took me 12 years to write that book. I had already started writing it, I don't know, 10 years before all this took place. And I said, it's a miracle in itself because we buy new computers that I didn't lose that manuscript because if I would have lost it, I wouldn't have gone back and done it. 
And so going into writing that book, I wrote about the suicide stuff. And, you know, I tell people, you know, may not be, uh, I'm not proud of what I did and everything like that uh, during that time. Uh, but it's my story. It's uh, my life. And it's led me to where I'm at today. And so because I've lived through it, I'm not ashamed of it. I'll, I'll tell people, I'll talk to them. Again, you don't know if you find somebody else is already hurting and thinking about it. And then you give them a spark to keep them going. Uh, you never, you never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's like, I'm really big on that stuff, like mental health and talking about suicide. Cause there's a lot of people that really think that like you're a coward for you doing it and all. And it's like, look, you can't put yourself in someone's shoes. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're struggling with. It's kind of like when you have a dream and the tone of the dream is really dark but when you explain it to people, it just sounds silly, but you can't really explain yeah. the feeling of it. And so like when you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with depression and it's consuming you and it's completely just ripping you apart. And regardless of whatever you're worried about, even if it's not that big of a deal to, to anyone, even if you were outside your own mind and you were able to just, you know, be sober of it and, and be able to look at yourself and go, well, this is crazy. You, you're not in that headspace. So you really don't know how much they're battling and how much they're dealing. And if you can't comprehend that, then you can't say someone is, is a coward or they're selfish or anything because you just, it, you don't know how messed up the brain can become from, from trauma. Exactly. Cause I used to be the same way. I knew other people that they were down and out and friends of mine, they wanted to, they had talked suicide and they didn't do it. They didn't attempt it. Uh, but I would do the same thing. Oh man, just get over it. You know, you got to get the, uh, just get over it. Don't even think about it. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, but once I finally went through it, you know, people that's never been through it and thought about it uh, enough to attempt that they don't know, just saying getting over it ain't going to help. You know, you got to help them get over it in whatever way. And yeah, they, until they understand what's going through the mind, chemical imbalance, the emotional dealing with it. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't understand, and, and they can give all the advice they want, uh, but they've never lived through it, and they truly don't know. No, absolutely. And it's and even, you know, I, I've, I've had attempted suicide myself, and I've, I've dealt with mental health my whole life, and I can understand some of your story. But I can understand a good part of it, but I also don't know. Because, again, you just don't know where someone's head's at, but it, 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 it what – when I get from what you were saying with, with your attempts, like when you, when you really are in your own mind and you can actually or look outside yourself and you can see like all the stupid things you did, a lot of it is so ridiculous, but at the time it seems reasonable. It seems like the thing to do, like you taking these medications, you don't even know if they actually could kill you, but yeah, yeah. you're so desperate to just kill the pain, the, 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 the mental, the voices talking, the anything that just you want it all to stop, and it's the e it really is technically the easy way out. Once you can get to the point of I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. It's the easy way out because now you don't have to live with any of the problems, and you don't have to solve them. You don't have to live with the pain any longer, and everything. And then you convince yourself how much better the family will be that I'm not here, that they don't have to help me get into bed, or they don't have to help me get dressed, or yeah. And you think you convince yourself that without you, yes, the family will be sad for a while, but life will go on and they'll be a lot better than with they're having to deal with me. 
Yeah. And so you convince yourself in that as well, even though not all that's true. Yes, they will get over it. They will move forward and everything. But still, it, you know, they they would still want you to be here, even though they were doing more work. Yeah. And imagine how messed up your family would have been after your brother died and then you kill yourself. Like, that would have been a, yeah, two, was, a twofer in a week. Yeah, it was within five months, you know, October to the end of January, February. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you pushed through and persevered with that because, you know, as a person that struggled with it, it, it's, it's hard, but when you can come out of it there, like I've said before, there's a lot of beautiful things that can come from it. And obviously what you're doing with your podcast and YouTube and everything. Um, what, what was, what was your idea behind doing, you know, starting your podcast? Well, first when I started my YouTube channel, it was for me to help with my, speaking business you know people get to see uh you know seven or eight minutes of uh samples of stuff i'll talk about and then finally i start actually started a, a podcast i don't know three years ago and all i was going to do is read like five minute powerful short stories and let people get it and after about i don't know two months nobody was coming in listening for that and so then i started interviewing people and then health problems came in, and I had to stop. And then I started back up on June 12th. It was a protein, and it'd be two years then that uh, we've been going since then. And uh, by June 12th, we'll have uh, 170 episodes going. And and you're you're in there as well. I think your number was 164 or 63. I think 163. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Well, like. Probably my last question, like when you do have these like health setbacks, obviously they suck regardless, but is it easier and even just your mental setbacks, do you, is it easier now, now that you're, you know, I don't know, you're stronger and you've been through so much, is it easier for you to kind of get yourself out of it and, and, and just, you know, still find some happiness? And before I answer that, let me go back to, uh, you asked about, uh, getting into podcasts. So one of my one of my thing was not it wasn't just to interview people it was my it was my opportunity to provide a platform for other people to get their stories out. Right. I'm going to, enough people has heard my story. Let's see if I can help you know a thousand people get their stories out. Mm. And so that that was my purpose then is to serve the fellow man and everybody else out there. And yeah, you know if we you know how it is on the last question. We're, we're, we're still human. There's days we're going to have poor pitiful for me. We just got to jump out as quick as we can. And, uh, and then fortunately we have more better days than bad days. Yeah. Um, I, I have found for me that when I'm in one of those moods that I got a service dog, Ricardo, uh, and I find that when I'm in one in day, one in mood, I take him to the, his favorite walking establishment and he gets to meet new people. And just watching them light up because of him helps me out. And you wouldn't believe how many people that uh, he would, they would come pet him and hug him and, and oh, they're all over him. And then I look up and they're crying and they said they just put their dog down, you know, six or eight months ago. And they thanked me for sharing him with them. What kind and of dog so is when he? I get, he's a black lad. Okay. And so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so whenever I get those days, I want to get him on out and let him get some exercise, meet some new people, and I get to watch the joy that he gives everybody. 
Yeah, animals is definitely like it's definitely my soft spot, and and anytime I see yeah. anyone's pet, I mean, I have my cat who I love, but any animal I see, it's just they bring a lot of joy and they get you through a lot of times. And I've said on, oh yeah, I've said on here before. Go ahead, what? No, no, I was gonna say they, you know, they give you that unconditional love. They don't care. Yeah, no judgment, and uh, you know where yeah. you stand with them. Yeah, my one cat, I've I've said on here multiple times that. Uh, the cat I have now, I love, and, and we're becoming best friends, but the cat I had before him, she got me through some of my worst mental times, you know, oh, yeah. and I'll never, I, I've said, I don't think I'll ever love anything more than I loved her. And it doesn't mean she's technically a better cat than the one I have, because technically he's more loving. It's just, she got yeah. me through some of the worst times and I'll never forget that because I'm loyal oh, yeah. even to animals. And they, and they sense, they sense when we're not feeling right and they'll come then you know, Ricardo will come put his head on my lap, you know, just to look at me and for me to pet him because he knows something ain't right. And so, yeah, they, they sense that as well, yeah. So, Yeah, and you never feel hey, judged. One, one guy told me, one guy told me, he said he knows that his dog loves him more than his wife loves him. I said, <laughs> really? And he, I said, he said, well, let me, let me give you an example. He said, I can take my dog and put him in the trunk of my car and close the trunk, come back an hour later, He's wagging that tail and licking me in the face. He said, I put my wife in there for an hour and she's cussing and screaming and hitting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's certain things you cannot do. And it's kind of hard, <laughs> hard to talk yourself out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. I got you. Um, did we cover everything, buddy? I don't want to miss anything that was important. I think we got to, I think we got to the biggest part of the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell, you said you have two books. You want to say the titles of your books? Oh, I got, uh, like eight books. Oh, eight eight books. books. I got five, oh, okay. I got like five, uh, five, uh, little children's books oh. that are on about my dog, uh, Ricardo. Okay. And he, he, uh, helps with different disabilities to help out with. And we, at the end, we talk about those different disabilities. Oh, cool. And so, um, one of them is actually his Christmas book and he, Gets to help uh, Santa and Rudolph pass out gifts at the house. So um, uh, that, but the other books I've got, uh, my first one, I've got in a wheelchair, is called One More Play. And then I've got one where I went through cancer, and it says cancer, uh, story of blessing, something and something, I forgot. So, and then um, another one, uh, last one I got out is called, um, oh, it is, oh, um, Oh, your past doesn't have a future, but you do. Create your future today. And it just talks about how many people living in the past because did something stupid 40 years ago or five minutes ago, and then they want to continue blaming themselves uh, instead of forgiving themselves and moving forward. Awesome. Oh, that's great. And you want to, what's your podcast called again? I know what it is. but Podcast the and the YouTube channel. Both of them is a Professor of Perseverant. Perseverant. That's awesome. Well, buddy, I, I appreciate you for coming on. You're a great guy, and I'm just happy you, you're still here and you're overcoming and, well, persevering. Uh, but, TJ, I'm glad that our path crossed. I'm glad yeah. I got to meet you with your story up and going. And you're you're doing awesome yourself. I'm glad that uh, you got your path podcast going. And that way you're you're helping people that I'm not going to be able to reach out, uh, reach out to. Yeah. So I appreciate you as well. I got you. So let's let's stay friends and keep in touch. And uh, anything you need, just you know, you need even if you need someone to talk to, just message me anytime. I got you, buddy. Peace. 
All right, buddy. Take care. All right. All right, guys. Another great one. Um, yeah. I just try to give you guys these guests, and he came across to my way. He was through Podmatch, but, again, I, it, he actually approached me first through uh, – through there wanting me on his show and it was nice to it was a nice talk uh so i will put the link on my facebook uh maybe even my instagram just to you know give everybody a chance to to watch our episode it was a good one so i I appreciate him a lot he's a good guy and and, you know like I, i love when you talk to him someone like him because it's like this may sound stupid but like you don't know that he's disabled like, obviously, you could if you saw him in a wheelchair, but you, you talk to a person like him and you just go like, yeah, he's just got a good spirit to him. He just, it's like, he doesn't let it beat him down. And it doesn't mean it doesn't sometimes, because mine does to me, and I don't always show it. But uh, it, it, it gives hope to anybody who's going through suicide or, you know, thoughts and somebody who's in a wheelchair, somebody who's just going through some sort of pain, uh no matter what type of pain it is, and they're, they're, it gives hope to them that someone like him can still be happy and still live a life and, and, and give back to those that um, don't feel like they have a purpose around in this around in the world. So, sorry, I'm really tired. As you can tell, I'm dying down. Um, but, yeah, guys, good luck to everybody out there. Everyone just, you know, I don't know, just keep an open mind and open eye just to, to, to anything can happen anymore in this world is crazy and there's always tragedy everywhere you look but you know there's some good things out there too so just just you know everyone try to to find something to to you know make yourself smile i know it sounds cheesy but so be it uh i'll see you guys next week and uh good luck to everybody who's going through something um you know regardless of what it is just hang in there and uh try to stay strong all right guys see ya